It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the free edition, the weekend-ish edition, the Monday, the Monday morning, not quarterback edition. Justin Ferguson back here in Auburn after an extended weekend down in sunny Florida uh, and joined, as always, by Painter Sharpless from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, brother. Good to hear from you guys again. And, and of course, Dan Peck. Hello. Checking in from Auburn as well. Yeah, What's gr- up? Gr- great, to, uh, great to see you again, Justin. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed. How much have you disclosed about like where you went and what you what you uh what you were doing in florida well so if you follow me on instagram and some of it, just a few of you do um you'll know that i that i posted i was i was at disney world for the last few days um it was it was a fun trip down there i hadn't been since i was I, i'd only ever been once in my life and i was 15 when i went um and my youngest sister was five at the time so we kind of knocked it out where most of most of it was still most of our family was still uh in uh in Disney peak Disney age, uh, and then yeah, decided to go back uh, with my girlfriend and uh, my parents as well, and it was it was a really really good time. Um, and I I, uh, I I just I continue to be blown away by just how much money uh, Walt Disney the Walt Disney Company has. It's just they own everything, man. Like it's 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 insane. It is absolutely insane. Uh, one day they'll probably own the Observer at the rate they're going. I, I've only been to the California Park once. I've been to I grew up going to. Uh, to, to Disney World in Florida, but I went to Disneyland uh, once a few years ago, and I guess they are, or for a long time, Disney's been very particular about not letting productions film inside the park. You know, you have, you have to come up right. with a stand-in if you want to use Disneyland in your movie, and they changed that policy for Saving Mr. Banks, the Tom Hanks Emma Thompson movie about the development of Mary Poppins and I missed by one day seeing Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson because I guess there's a there's a scene in the film where he shows her around she plays the writer who created Mary Poppins and Tom Hanks Mm -hmm. plays Walt Disney and he shows her around Disneyland to convince her to let Disney make Mary Poppins and they actually shot at Disneyland, and I missed it by yeah one day. Almost, almost saw Tom Hanks in his uh, in his in his Colonel Sanders uh, Walt Disney <laughs> out, outfit wa- walking around uh, walking around his park. Yeah, uh, we'll move on here quickly. Dan, did you ever see the Florida Project? I ha- uh, twenty four. I, I have seen the Florida Project. Absolutely, yeah, Will- Willem De- Willem Dafoe. Great, great coming of age movie. Um, I found out this week because I, I was thinking about that movie while I was down there. They illegally shot. Uh, the the end scene of that movie on an iPhone outside of Disney, like they were not supposed to do that, and they and they they shot it on an iPhone, which is really cool. I I, I need to hear more stories about like yeah, like filmmakers just being like yeah, all right, well this probably wasn't legal, but we did it anyway. Come on and get us Disney. Yeah, stealing shots is sort of the you know in in the in the biz you know when you when you don't have the permits or permission to use a location and you try to do it anyway, and it's it's common with. Uh, with lower budget stuff in Los Angeles, you know, I, I, there were times when I would be uh, I, I would be at a food court or something, and I could tell that uh, something was was trying to they're trying to <laughs> they were trying to play it cool, but they were very clearly filming a dialogue scene, you know, within you know within within earshot, and you know, I guess there there are some places with really tight security that are more careful about it, right. casinos, airports, 
theme parks that are going to be a little bit more vigilant about shutting it down. But but yeah, it's it's cool to see a uh, a, a sneaky shot make it into a, a movie like that. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, here because you know this weekend specifically Friday going on vacation a lot happened a lot happened to the world of Auburn basketball and we're here to talk about all of it because man it seemed like there's about a few hours there where just stuff was coming left and right when it came to Auburn basketball first off 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 the top um shout out to the boys here Painter and Dan for running the ship uh I screwed up the mailbag that's my fault dan was supposed to be involved in it and i and i miss we will get you a dan peck mailbag in the near future do not worry we are we are with the critics of the peck the peck pack is is already demanding it they have they have sent threats to my house they have they have sent screenshots of where i live um i was gonna pitch i was gonna pitch either either we do a dan's version uh, mailbag, you know, we, we we borrow from from Taylor, and we do a you know Dan's version where I answer the questions. Or, I mean, if you got them, I'll we could do it at the end of the show here. I mean, I'll I'll answer I'll answer them off the dome right here, so lightning I, round. So I will say, uh, early June, um, so a little over a month from now, I will be gone for an extended period of time visiting some family overseas. Dan will be involved in that. I'm already signing Dan up for for that. So that was a technical error on my fault. But wanted to shout out. Thank you, both of you guys. Again, I wanted to do it publicly. Obviously, did it private, <laughs> private a ton. But um, publicly, thanks to Dan and Painter for running the show this weekend. Uh, Christian Clemente also hopping on for for the podcast. Always great to have Christian on uh, to talk uh, to talk a little crouton. Uh, and uh, you know, I got to. Spend a few days off before diving right back in. And, man, like I said, busy, busy time. Kept up with a lot of what was going on. So, guys, there's a lot of topics here we can get to with Auburn basketball um, for, for this show. Where do we want to start? Where 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 do we go? Let's let's throw it out there either. Uh, you know, Dan, since I left you out of the mailbag, where, where do you want to start? You'll, you'll bat lead off here. Well, between the, between the hiring of an assistant coach, the commitment of a transfer for this upcoming season, and the decommitment of a player that I think a lot of people were excited about for the class of 2024, I mean, there's three pieces of news that would be, I mean, they, they'd be the headline in Auburn oh, yeah. basketball if they happened – uh, on, on a on a day where nothing else occurred, but they're battling it out, and I mean, I'm I'm intrigued by Cheney Johnson, but I'd I'd sort of be interested to know Justin, like what what, what strikes you as the most significant of those three developments? I you know, let's start with I think we'll start with the more negative news from the Auburn perspective, and that is the decommitment of LeBaron Phylon. We had talked about Phylon for a while now. Um, I went down during the senior bowl um week uh uh when we went down to talk to hugh freeze i rode down with christian and jason caldwell the 247 crew and they went and saw lebaron phylon so i got to kind of tag along watch him play and i was super impressed i thought you know watching him this was right before he made his commitment to auburn he just looked like a guy that i thought was going to be a very big uh, piece for the future for auburn basketball and he decommits um, you know, on Friday and citing in his in his announcement uh, staff changes. And I think what we are – we already knew this, but I do think it's going to really bear itself out uh, here, you know, over – I think over the next few weeks and months. 
the West Flanagan departure to Ole Miss, it, it has a real impact. It's, you know, not only on the, not only is the, the fact that Auburn's had this really cohesive and consistent staff over these last few years. And that continuity, I think has, has led to a lot of their success and has helped them out a ton. West Flanagan was also just a killer on the recruiting trail. He was, he was a big time uh, weapon for them on the recruiting trail. And, and you don't have that, you know, anymore uh, for Auburn with who they have, you know, with, with the connections he's already had. Now we will talk about his replacement here uh, in a little while and the recruiting chops that he has, and he, he brings to the table, but yeah, this, this, you know, Phylon decommitting makes sense because he was very tight with Wes Flanagan and with Wes Flanagan now at Ole Miss, that changes things, um, you know, and, and, People will say it all the time, you know, and it's the old cliche, commit to the school, not the staff. Everyone can say that until they're blue in the face, but recruiting is about relationships. That is, the, like, the big factor here. And these and these coaches, how many times have we seen guys in football and in basketball, they sign or, or they commit, and you have that cycle, you know, right after. There's usually that carousel right after signing day where assistant coaches make their moves, and guys are looking around like, what the heck, the guy that brought me on here – Jeffrey Inbaugh is a great example. Brought in by Nick Eason, never got to play a, a snap, never got to go through a practice with Nick Eason. And so it matters. It matters a ton because, like we say, recruiting is about relationships. And LeBaron Filon so closely connected with, with Wes Flanagan, now that he's out of the picture, it changes the dynamic, especially for a guy who still has a whole other year of, of high school basketball left to play. He's got plenty of time to make his decision. College athletics have never felt more year to year with regard to the rosters than they do now, right? I think between kids not having to sit out a year if they transfer and just the, the amount of roster turnover you see, it's, it's a, a reminder that the, you know, the future can change very, very quickly for your program. And if you've got a guy committed when he's a sophomore in high school or a junior in high school, be excited about it, mm-hmm. but also understand, like, there's nothing binding here. And a lot can change for your program. A lot can change for that player. And this, I think, is a reminder of that and maybe his decommitment will make more sense when we know where he goes because if he ends up at Ole Miss playing right. for West Flanagan it's going to be hard to deny how important West Flanagan was in his commitment to Auburn in the first place and if, if that's where he eventually ends up which I think is what you know some people are thinking now that he's back as as an uncommitted recruit I don't know if this is a crippling blow for Auburn because they have some point guard options with eligibility remaining for for the next few years that that they have reason to be excited about but I don't want to I don't want to diminish uh, how significant this this is because this is a player that I mean it, it's been a long time since Auburn signed a Mr. Basketball right and and it's uh, ever they've never signed a Mr. Basketball that's a, that's a long time <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's forever is a very long time so it's yeah. uh you know, it's it's. I understand the disappointment from folks who uh, oh, yeah. really really wanted to see Phylon in an Auburn jersey. And and this wasn't the other one. We didn't talk about it the last time we had our podcast because it just happened. But Peyton Marshall decommitting the big guy from from Kell in, in the Atlanta area. Another guy, West Flanagan, was heavily involved in with his recruitment, and it changes when guys make moves. And so, um, 
There's a few things I want to go here with this, talking about Phylon's decommitment. Number one, Auburn, like, it was already, this isn't, like, Auburn would have made it work, 100%. Auburn would have made it work. But, like, it was going to be very interesting to see in the future. I mean, Auburn had to hide Pettiford and uh, LeBaron Phylon, who were both balled out like point guards. Obviously, Phylon's got more inches on uh, on some of these guys um, committed in this 24 class. Additionally, Aiden Holloway's coming in. You do have Trey Donaldson. Like, a lot of point guards, a lot of guys who could be number ones on their team. It was going to be interesting to see how they were going to float out. So it's not like Auburn is losing a guy in Phylon at a position where they just don't have anything, right? It's not like it's not like when a great quarterback decommits from your class and you're like, well, crap, who, who do we have left? Like, you're not Auburn's not looking around in that case because they have Pettiford, who, by the way, this past weekend had a really good weekend from from what recruiting folks have been saying uh, at EYBL. He's he's a big name player. The other thing you keep in mind with Pettiford because there were there are, I know there are people out there who were like. Oh wow! I mean, we've lost two of the three. This was this really big class. Now there's only one, and who knows? You know, he's probably not going to stay either. Maybe, maybe not. But I will say this: to hide Pettiford being a guy from the Northeast, Ira Bowen is his big um, recruiter. He, he's the guy who's got that that connection. So it is different. I think there's a greater chance that Pettiford stays in the boat than a couple of these other guys who were West Flanagan recruits. Um, so it, it is very interesting because I do think. You know, Painter. I know we've we've talked about this. There's a lot of pressure internally from Bruce Pearl. When I mean, he said it after they lost to Houston in the in the second round. Like, hey, like we've got like I have a very high standard. We've got to be better. And I think even though Auburn fans in their heart of hearts know this is the best Auburn basketball has ever been on a consistent basis, and what Pearl has done has been nothing short of remarkable. There is an elevated standard now, especially with what you've seen Alabama do recently. And so when you have these negative things like decommitments, I know the tendency from some fans is to kind of be like, oh, no, the sky is falling. Things are going backwards. I do think, though, and, like, maybe, I don't know, tell me if I'm out of line on this from a from a fan perspective, Painter, but, like, I do think, though, that the shifting roster and, and staff now is kind of, like, underscoring, like, okay, what happens next from Pearl and his team? Like, you got to really hit this because, um, you know, the league's getting better and, and, and you're going to have to adapt with it and change with it. I haven't really ridden the recruiting portal wave very calmly. Like, you know, at the beginning of the portal opening or, or when Auburn was initially linked to players, I, you know, I made the comment that I didn't really think that Bruce and the staff were going to be able to make a big wave. And then they got Denver Jones and they were tied to Matthew Cleveland. And I sort of started getting hopes up and now I'm, sort of back at the point where it's like, I'm curious to see what this really materializes into right. for Auburn. I'm back to being a skeptic, whether or not that's fair. I don't know because I'm just kind of uh, changing my opinion every day based on, on vibes. I was, I was going to add that I think you can still be optimistic about Auburn's in-house point guard options, right? Like there's, right. there's, there's something to like about Aiden Holloway. Trey Donaldson could make a jump in year two. I heard somebody suggest that, you know, may, maybe what Auburn has at point guard is part of the reason Phylon is moving on. I think Phylon's the kind of player who doesn't care what's on the roster. And, he he thinks he's showing up and playing. But Auburn could think, still have and, something promising at point guard. And I think because of his height, I think Phylon could have easily slotted in as a two or a three at Auburn. I, I absolutely think he, you know, he didn't necessarily have to be a, a strict point guard 
to play. And and look, when he committed, um, Auburn already had Pettiford in the boat, if I remember correctly. Like so, yeah, th- this was something that's not going to take. He knows Aiden Holloway. I mean, Aiden Holloway. If Aiden Holloway's one and done, I think Auburn's I think Auburn's in line for a pretty big year next year. Um, so I mean, that's it's one of those things where I think you have to kind of you know manage it. But like, yeah, like you said, apparently, like you want to ride the wave a little bit. I think there. I think though, when you see the changes happening for Auburn when it comes to this roster and the staff, um, it's an opportunity more than anything uh, to to get some things moving in a different direction. Now, obviously, you would have loved to have kept LeBaron file on, and I think Auburn is in a spot where West Flanagan. You don't want to necessarily lose West Flanagan to a to another to a similar job in the same conference. It's not like he left to go be a head coach somewhere, and I think that's going to be one that's going to kind. Of, it, it makes these recruiting losses also kind of stick with you a little bit more because you're just like, man, that that this seems I don't want to say avoidable. The man made his own decision, but it's also one of those things where it's like, dang, you know, you you do really wonder kind of uh, how Auburn wishes wishes they could have had that back. Auburn has had tremendous success with players who have vehicle names, too, right? You think about Cadillac <laughs> Williams. You think about Tank Bigsby. So if Auburn could have added LeBaron Phylon to that mix, uh, I think it would have – I mean, th- there's there's reason to believe it would have worked at Auburn for uh, for, for that young man. No, a- absolutely. And, and I do wonder kind of what – like, all right, we're, we'll talk to uh, Bruce Pearl. Tuesday starts ambush. Uh, which is, for those of you who don't know, the tour of uh, alumni clubs. There are four an- alumni club annual meetings that get the full, you know, the 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 full blast uh, uh, support of Auburn athletics, which is basically to say they get Hugh Freeze and they get Bruce Pearl and they get uh, John Cohen and others to come and be a part of their their annual meetings, which is a huge deal. It's a huge fundraising thing. It's it's I mean. It's a big deal every year, and Atlanta, the Atlanta club, starts it this Tuesday, and Bruce Pearl is scheduled to speak, along with Hugh Freeze and John Cole, with the media. It'll be very interesting to hear Bruce's comments for the first time after the Flanagan decision, uh, West Flanagan's departure, the hire of uh, of, of your new you know assistant coach uh, in, in Corey Williams, uh, and obviously just continuing some of the some of the moves. You can talk about Chaney Johnson as well. Um, and just the pickups that, the, that, that this team has been up with Denver Jones as well. So it would be very interesting to hear Pearl's thoughts on all this because, again, everyone knew this roster was going to change and everyone knew that this, this, this team was going to change. And honestly, it needed to in order to keep up and continue to push forward with what's going on in the SEC, with, with, with the way this league is. However, you know, some of these moves and some of these decisions – you know, aren't necessarily like the best case scenario for Auburn, and we've seen the recruiting impact of of, of one of them with 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 West Flanagan. So let's talk Corey Williams now. Uh, Auburn hires Corey Williams uh, on Friday, I believe on three. Uh, Justin Hoganson was was the first to report this uh, on uh, last week, uh, but Auburn making it official on um, Friday afternoon. Corey Williams, who is coming over from Texas Tech. He spent the last two seasons at Texas Tech. He was the interim head coach uh, for a brief time there. Um, obviously, Texas Tech has had a really, really good run. Um, not as much this past year, but obviously when the, the, the program was on much more stable footing, they had a really good run. But he's been he's been in, in coaching for 23 years. 
He was at Arkansas uh, under Muss uh, for two seasons. He was a head coach at Stetson for six years. Um, ha- has had a really, really lengthy career, including, uh, you know, playing for, um, you know, Oklahoma State uh, and then playing with a guy named Michael Jordan and another guy named Scotty Pippen uh, for the uh, Chicago Bulls on a, on a championship team. Also, um, in addition to working under – or to, for, play, uh, for playing under, uh, you know, Eddie Sutton, uh, Leonard Hamilton, also with Leonard Hamilton for a stretch at Florida State. The resume here is pretty dang impressive, guys, uh, when it comes to Corey Williams. Um, this is a guy who has been on some really, really successful teams in a variety of conferences. It's a guy who's got NBA experience playing alongside some of the best to ever do it. Um, was a great player in his own right in college. Has also been a head coach. Uh, we will see what kind of impact this has, especially on the recruiting trail. But um, if you're going to have to replace Wes Flanagan – I know he doesn't have the Auburn ties that, that Wes had. That made sense. But, again, a guy who has coached several spots in this league, coached for some under some really good coaches, and also has been a head coach himself, I think is what really made a lot of sense. We talked about this when, when, the, when the Flanagan news first broke that he was leaving for Ole Miss. Replacing a former head coach with another former head coach always made a ton of sense for Auburn. I'm not surprised at all that Bruce Pearl went out and got one here in Corey Williams. Corey Williams has a really impressive resume as an assistant coach. Eric Musselman and Leonard Hamilton both enjoyed a tremendous amount of success with Corey Williams on the staff. The Florida State run, I, I think, is is one that should not be overlooked here. Six yeah. years in Tallahassee, they did not finish below 500 in conference play once in his six years on staff at Florida State, which is, I mean, when you think about it, it's the ACC, and they weren't Florida. I mean, Florida State has had some some great years, but the uh, the, the stretch and, and fact check me on that one, somebody, because I'm I'm pretty sure I got that one right on six year run where they, they were 500 or better every year in conference when Corey Williams was there in Tallahassee. They recruited several really big time players, and I mean, it, it's. They they were able to sustain some of that success without Corey Williams, but he he was a spark there in Tallahassee to help uh, to help settle things down for Leonard Hamilton and and his recruiting uh, has been cited pretty much everywhere he goes, including Texas Tech, where uh, he's uh, he's coming, uh, you know, the the school that he was most recently working for before being hired at Auburn, and we could see. Uh, you know, we, we could hear more about some of his connections as far as recruits that he impacted at Texas Tech uh, playing a role at Auburn down the line, too. Yeah, I mean, I think when you have a situation where um, you get a guy who is under muss with the, with the run Eric Musselman's had at Arkansas, um, it, just the press release that Auburn sent out pointed out uh, Arkansas had a number five recruiting class in the country when, when Williams was there. Um, you know, was a key guy to helping build that, that like you were saying, Dan, that really consistent Florida State roster. Uh, and on top of that, um, you, you know, you've got, you've got a run where you can point to that NBA experience. You can point to that head coaching experience. You've, you've had to do that, um, you know, before. And I think that's going to be a, a, you know, a big weapon in terms of your, your, your on the in-game stuff, like X's and O's, strategy and all that like having a former head coach it's why it's why you know Nick Saban tries to load up as many as he can on his staffs because that insight if you've been the guy who's had to call those shots before it can be really really valuable 
and generally it means you were a pretty successful assistant if you get yes. hired as a head coach somewhere. So, I mean, it happens in football a lot, too, where Auburn will hire a uh, as, as an assistant coach, they'll hire someone who was recently a head coach with an unspectacular record, and people will point to that win-loss record and say, well, why is this guy our receivers coach now or our defensive coordinator now? And it's in part because, you know, it, sample size matters. It's more than just what they were last year as a head coach. It's yeah. everything on the resume, and including the things that got them that head coaching job. And I would look at what Corey Williams did to get hired at Stetson, and I would think, you know, you, you can bring someone like that on top of the fact that he then spent multiple years as a mid-major head coach, and he's been in the SEC since then. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very impressive resume. Uh, and, and there's also, like you said, there's also an NBA championship ring that says Chicago Bulls on it, which can raise, uh, you know, that, that, can, that can raise some eyebrows. You drop that on the table at a, at a recruiting visit, too, as somebody who was there as, as part of one of the great dynasties in the history of professional basketball. I mean, just take a look at it. I, I think I, I think one of the things when you look at coaches and their resumes, look at the guys who hired them. Look at the guys who came around. In this case, Eddie Sutton recruited him there and then also had him on as a student assistant. Hall of Famer right there. Okay. Phil Jackson <laughs> coached him. That 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 stands uh, uh, pretty high. Leonard Hamilton, I, th I mean, last couple of years in Tallahassee have gone awry, but like I, there are few coaches – basketball coaches living and breathing on this earth right now that are as good at what they do as Leonard Hamilton is. Um, and then Eric Musselman, really good run. Uh, obviously, you know, his past NBA experience, but then what he did at Nevada, what he's done at Arkansas. Um, and then on top of that, you did have, um, oddly enough, a guy who just took Wes Flanagan, uh, you know, and Chris Beard, who had him on, on, on his staff as well, if I remember, if I remember that correctly. I think that I think the timing lines up there. If not, uh, I, I can I can I'll stand corrected there. But um, you know, it's just it, it's a really it's a really great resume to have uh, as an as an assistant coach. And like I said earlier, I think losing Wes Flanagan is tough um, because he is an Auburn guy and he was such a good recruiter, and he's a former head coach, and he brought a lot of he brought, brought a ton of value to the program. And it was going to be tough to replace a guy like that with all you can do. Williams is is, is you know checks a lot of those boxes. It's not an up and coming guy. Uh, it's not a you know, and, and not to say you can't have success with those. It's not a dude who's just a flashy recruiter or it's just an X's and O's guy. He's had experience and can point stuff on his resume that is pretty well rounded. And I and I. You know, we can see what Bruce said, you know, in his quote in the press release about, you know, Williams, you know, what you just say out there. I'll be very interested to hear from Bruce later this week about Corey Williams and what, you know, what really, really excites him about bringing him on, on staff here. Well, it seems like they wanted to go find a Wes Flanagan type, right? Yeah, and and when you look at Wes Flanagan's resume, uh, there are, including – you know, time in the in the Texas and Arkansas, you know, area as as a coach. Like there's there are similarities here that would think, okay, well, Auburn is is going out and finding a very good coach who will uh, be able to to, uh, to to fulfill some of the needs you have now that Wes Flanagan has decided to move on. It's also worth pointing out, and I don't know if this played any role in Auburn's decision to go get Corey Williams, but 
Justin and I were on the drive last week, and we mentioned that there is a very prominent Texas Tech player in the portal, a 3-4. Jalen Tyson is his name. He's been one of the better players for Texas Tech the last couple of years, and I think there's a belief that, I mean, we'll see where things shake out the next couple of weeks, but as soon as he went into the portal, there were folks saying, watch out to see where Corey Williams lands. That could be a destination for this, uh, for, for this prominent player out of the Big 12. And part of the reason why that makes a ton of sense, though, is because of the movement that has happened elsewhere. Um, Cario Kendo, not coming to Auburn. Devin Cambridge, not coming to Auburn. Both of those guys are going to Oregon, which is going to make Oregon a very interesting team to watch next year. Uh, you know, out of out of the Pac-12, um, other guys uh, that Auburn have has has targeted have been um, have already made their decisions. There were a couple of developments this weekend. Keep an eye on. Obviously, you said Jalen Jalen Tyson. I will think I would think that Auburn would make a ton of sense for a guy like Jalen Tyson, especially after getting Corey Williams on their staff. Also, Matthew Cleveland is down to a final three of Auburn, Missouri, and Miami. Fascinating final three for a number of reasons. Number one, Miami, you know, has has coming off of just two monster seasons. Jim Laranega. Is, uh, is 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 one of the best to do to ever do it, and this isn't a video podcast, so nobody can see what Dan's doing right now. Uh, but Dan, Dan, you have you have something else you would like to add about about Miami? I would say that Miami has been over the last two years or so as active as just about any program at bringing in top tier players from the transfer portal in part for NIL reasons. Last year, they made that big splash going out and getting Nigel Pack from Kansas State. They also convinced uh, Isaiah Wong to stick around. And in women's basketball, Miami went out and got the Cavender Twins from Fresno State, who were social media sensations. And, uh, you know, I think this has nothing to do with anything else we're talking about, but the Cavender Twins are foregoing their final year of eligibility to join the WWE, which is a uh, which, which is a fun story to watch out for there in college basketball. Really, the new Bellas. That that's, they could very well be the new Bella Twins there uh, coming out of the University of Miami. Uh, but no, the the Matthew Cleveland final three. You've got Miami, you've got Missouri, which has we were just talking about Leonard Hamilton. Uh, Charlton Young was the assistant to Leonard Hamilton the last couple of years. See why Young has been around college basketball. He was an assistant at Auburn under Cliff Ellis. 20 years ago he's the assistant credited with getting Matthew Cleveland to Tallahassee he's now at Missouri coaching for uh, for Dennis Gates so I think that who just had a phenomenal first season with with Missouri uh playing that just brand of basketball where it was a lot of fun to watch but I mean when it fell apart it fell apart like the Princeton game but they're definitely Missouri basketball heading in the right direction there's there's history and 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 you know program tradition there to compete with with Missouri for sure there, there are three schools that make sense here you know the final three make sense for for different reasons Miami because of how well they've been able to attract portal talent and the fact that it's in the southeast in the conference you know m- maybe he would want to stay uh you know re- he's an Atlanta guy so, so maybe the, the notion of a, a southeastern program appeals to him uh, Merrill or Missouri with the connections uh that, that CY Young has and then Auburn his his third school I mean, we've seen the way Auburn's been able to go get players out of Atlanta 
I mean, there, Justin, there's an, any number of reasons why Matthew Cleveland could be interested in Auburn sure. as a destination. North Carolina's not in that top three. A lot of people were worried when Carolina uh, started to, or, you know, there, there started to be reports that North Carolina was very interested in Matthew Cleveland. North Carolina went out and got Ingram, the mm-hmm. uh, an, another one of the top wings in the transfer portal out of Stanford. Yep. Not surprising that after North Carolina lands on a different uh, wing, uh, Matthew Cleveland makes it clear North Carolina's not really in the picture for him. Yeah, Harrison, uh, Harrison Ingram going to um, North Carolina. It mentions Jalen Tyson. Kansas is going to be very involved for that one because they were after Harrison Ingram pretty hard. They, they need a wing. They, they, they really, really need a wing. Uh, and, and Cleveland makes a ton of sense for a lot of these teams. Uh, and also, obviously, Jalen Tyson. So, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what Auburn does. Making the final three is big. There were some really big – Michigan was in the mix as well there uh, for, for, for Cleveland. Did make that final three. Auburn's got that familiarity. They're going to try to see if Lightning can strike twice, like with the with the Walker-Kessler deal where it's like, we didn't get you in high school, bud, but here here's a chance at you again. And like you said, the Atlanta connection, it's it, it's it's the closest to home pick. Um, it's, it's a staff you're already very familiar with from the recruiting trail. Be very interested to see kind of where that where that lands, and um, you know it, it, it's been a while, but like you know you're bringing in a guy like Corey Williams, can you come seal the deal with a guy who, not at the same time as you, but played at Florida State under uh, under Leonard Hamilton? Uh, I think they're, they're, that connection there is very interesting. Reportedly, and and we'll see, but reportedly Matthew Cleveland has already visited Miami and Missouri, and is lining up an Auburn visit sometime this week. I've been telling the Sky Bar guys maybe Thursday or Friday night could could be Matthew Cleveland night at Sky Bar. <laughs> I don't I don't know if if we're we're getting some traction there, but yeah, it seems like between when we're recording this episode and and the next seven days, Matthew Cleveland could take an official visit to Auburn and make an announcement. I, I would imagine by the middle of May, you know, th- this thing's going to be settled and he's he's going to have a school where, where he's going to enroll this fall. Dan, we talked about it recently. There's two things. One for Dan, and then two, I, I need to ask Painter something. One for Dan, we, we've talked about this in the past here in this cycle. Denver Jones is a great example. Getting that first official visit and being the one to like make sure, hey, you ain't going anywhere else is kind of the, the strength. Cleveland reportedly, like you said, has visited Miami, visited Missouri, didn't make a decision. Could Auburn get the reverse of that effect and be like, hey, if we're the last one you hadn't visited, save the best for last, kind of kind of pull the trigger. That was always at least the way you try to recruit an NCAA 14 on dynasty mode. Uh, that's not real life, but you know it does at least at least make an impact. So I mean, I, I do wonder if that workaround is going to be is is something that you can kind of see. You know, you didn't get the first visit, but the first visit didn't net a net a, a quick commitment either. So maybe could could be in the last be in the last um, impression could could potentially swing something for you. On the court, what's the pitch for Auburn? Like, how do, what do they sell Matthew Cleveland on as a player and, and what he'd be able to do for this team? I would say, hey, look at what Alan Flanagan did here and, like, look at, um, you know, Auburn is going to need, especially if Flanagan doesn't come back, which, again, is where everything seems to be pointing right now, a rebounding wing um, who can play lockdown defense, be versatile, versatile on that end of the floor, I'd show him Isaac Okoro. I'd say, look at what, look what you got. Look what we did with Okoro. Um, they might, say, they might know each other. Like there's a, there's a yeah, chance. There's of a that really too. good chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, look at. I would point to that. I'd point to you know, 
Uh, I'd point to other guys you've seen in the past, but these these versatile defensive rebounding, you know, wing forward guys, you know, Auburn's had a good run with them. And I know Flanagan had that big injury, but when he was on, especially this past season, he was he was really, really good. Uh, and Auburn needs that because the best Auburn teams of the last few years under Pearl have had that guy, and they need that guy, especially if you don't have, you know, Alan Flanagan coming back. Painter Dan was talking about the Matthew Cleveland night at Skybar. If what does Painter Sharpless night at Skybar Sky look like? If 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 we're trying to, if we're trying to sell out to cater to your ideal evening. I think it would be very different now than maybe six or seven years ago. Let's, let's take you back when you were a high, uh, when you were a college junior because that's yeah. what Matthew Cleveland is. Now I think I'd be slightly terrified and certainly would would call the night sooner. I I would probably venture to guess that the majority of the evening in the front bar, enjoying a few light beers and perhaps some purple monsters, and then at some point we would probably work our way to the back. I don't, I don't know if it would be all that particularly unusual. It just, it, it, it does. It seems daunting to me to do what was done on a regular basis. Not that long ago, I suppose. Uh, what is a purple monster as someone who is, uh, who, who is unaware? If I'm correct, it had like, um, Oh, now I think it was like 151 and, um, like a grape liqueur. Um, there's probably more to it. It was really good bang for your buck, if I remember correctly. Like it was a strong shot, and it was pretty reasonable price. Not that, you know, I mean, this is a college bar, so in retrospect, everything seems reasonable now. Dan, so what we is should, well, we what should is, do, we should <laughs> go. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, uh, talk. What is the yeah? What is what is Dan Pack night at Skybar, and then you can say whatever whatever you're going to say. Yeah, li- listeners should know that we had to edit out my answer of what what Dan Peck night at Skybar is like <laughs> because it was because it was so filthy. So let's just no no. It's you know I, I think uh, you know I, I mean it's it's not, not no themes or anything you know you know not, nothing nothing too wacky here. I think a uh, you know Sky, Skybar is its own theme, right? Like that's a, that's its own party, yeah, and, and right. I don't want to I don't want to impose. You know my, uh, I don't know togas. We we need the togas. We're gonna do foam. I'm just imagining foam I'm just imagine, sand. I'm just imagining everybody, everybody at Sky Bar, just on the projectors and the TVs, just watching a Coen Brothers movie in silence. <laughs> that's like the, that's the dead back night. Dan would yeah, be a sure. great person to go with because Dan can see over the crowd. And so Dan, for those is a great of you who don't know, Dan is a with. Dan is a Dan is a very tall man. He's a very very tall man. So yeah, we're, sh- we're, sh- we're showing we're showing Barton Fink at midnight in the back of Sky Bar, <laughs> kids. All right, everybody, everybody, get excited. Everybody, get your drink and just calm down. <laughs> Dan, were you ever much of a pool player, or was that never really your thing? You know, I've I've had periods where I was. I mean, socially, not I'm not good under any circumstances. Right. But like, I will I will be a fourth, you know, and and help the uh, and help the game move along, and and occasionally, like I'll I'll miss routine shots and. Hit sometimes, yeah. Sometimes lightning will strike, and and I'll I'll let it, I'll let it rain. But it's uh no. To, to answer the question, I'm not good. I can I can play, but not not well. Dan, one of the funnier stories that I've heard about you comes from a mutual friend of ours, and he says that at some point at Skybar, he saw you from across the way. That you may or may not have 
disposed of the drink in your hand and struck the Heisman pose. Well, okay, so so that was that would have been me leading. There, there, there. Okay, um, the 2017 <laughs> Iron Bowl was at Skype. We we were we were getting we were setting up after the game, and you know if you if you haven't been downtown to to one of Auburn's bars for like a big Auburn football game, right, like a home game. You know, the, the spillover crowd for an, an Alabama game or a Georgia game or something like that. And this was this was an Iron Bowl where the winner goes to the SEC championship game. So it's it's got higher stakes than your average Iron Bowl that 2017. And so there was a rowdy sort of Bama section and a, a rowdy Auburn section. And I'd I'd been trapped in the middle of this as, as people sort of barked at each other. And I think as this happens... Did a carry on Johnson touchdown, I think, is probably sure, what, yeah. what ends up happening. And people and, and it wasn't the story has become just me, but people around the bar <laughs> were were throat were emphatically spiking their drinks and you know to the ground and hitting the Heisman pose in in uh, in big numbers. It's much so, more fun to imagine you being the only person doing yeah. it. Well, you know, if you want to tell the story and say that I I started it and then and then it it caught on like like the <laughs> like the first guy to do the wave or something that's sort of uh, uh, yeah I'll I'll take it. I'll do y'all remember it. ESPN doing a special where they talked about the origin of the yeah. wave and two different guys claiming that they started it? <laughs> no, I don't remember that part. I just remember one of them like comparing starting the wave to creating the paperclip and being like. This this is insignificant, but it's still significant to me. I want them both in Guantanamo Bay. That's how I feel about <laughs> so, the wave. I want them both. So so we're at a we're at one of the we're at one of the Disney shows, uh, the like the fireworks shows at the end of the night, and uh, there's one at Hollywood Studios that has like it's like amphitheater seating, so it's like a lot of concrete, and everybody's waiting for the show to start, and somebody started the wave there. And like it, they did it a few times, but the funniest part is, especially in a place like Disney World, you have like all these different cultures, and they have all these different languages, and and all that, and like not everybody, you know, has the same reaction to everything. But the funniest part was, every, they would do a wave, and it wasn't a, it's not a full bowl, so it would never come back around. So it would kind of just go to the end of the amphitheater and just stop, and then they would come back and do it again. And every time it ended, there was just a like a golf clap applause, like like somebody had just hit like a nice like eight foot par, like yeah yeah good job, and like we did it good. <laughs> that, that's teamwork in action, folks. Like so yeah, not a fan of the wave. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm with you there, Dan. I'm, so t- I, I'm tempted to ask more Disney questions, but I know we're back. We're on the actual business can, at hand. Do they yeah. still? Do they? Is Fantasia still referenced a lot? Yes, at Disney that, because that's I feel like that's a movie that people yeah it's it's a famous movie that very few people have actually sat through. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows the everybody knows the Mickey Mouse and the in the in the magician's hat part of Fantasia. That's it. That's all they know. The brooms maybe and the mops walking. Around. That's it. That's a lot all of you pretenders got. out there. Yeah, not, you, not you a, didn't watch <laughs> the like, real. You didn't Fantasia watch the classical heads. music. Yeah, where are the real Fantasia? Like just different abstract. <laughs> Like it's thirty minutes of abstract stuff, like with classical music behind it. Like you get, like, like it is, it is a test of your endurance if you're not into that kind of thing. And a technical, sequ- technical masterpiece in 1940, though. Like they thought it was like they thought it was the craziest. That was like Avatar in 1940. They were like, can you believe what they are doing with the moving picture now? 
and and maybe the most obscure Disney feature of the last three or four decades is Fantasia 2000, yes. which was the follow-up released in late 99. That was the I mean, same idea where they, they animated uh, different classical music compositions and they had celebrities. I think Steve Martin is in it. They had, they had celebrities introduce it. Whoopi Goldberg and, and does one. Whoopi I Goldberg's think. in it. Yeah, there, there's a couple of famous ones. And, and you know, they're, they're both... They're both fascinating. They're strange little movies, but people—I uh, mean—they're—they're they're referenced a lot at the theme parks. I know, and and if you're, uh, you know, if you're if you're if you're into animation and and great music, you know, the the Fantasia films are are, are, are something to see. Are the theme parks desperately trying to make Fantasia happen? <laughs> I think the 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 closing show in, at Hollywood Studios is like kind of Fantasia based, where it's like, hey, Mickey's gonna you know do some magic and. But they link a lot of the other films together. What's fun, and we'll, we'll move on after this. What's fun if you ever go to Disney or you know look around, see which Disney films get referenced a lot, and like there's representation of them, and then which ones are like we don't, we don't, we would rather you not believe, like remember that this exists. Like there, what is left out, I think, is much more interesting than who gets who gets like a ride or an area of the park or oh here's a, here's you know some merch you can buy with like what doesn't get mentioned is always the more fascinating one for, for me. Yeah, how much is uh, how much is Emperor's New Groove getting getting played out not at, at near, the Disney park? Not nearly enough because <laughs> yeah. that movie is an underrated masterpiece. It is saw a comedic it, comedic genius right there. Saw, saw it three times in theaters. Uh, Emperor's Atta New Groove and, and the uh, and the documentary, which you can't find anywhere. So for folks That's, who don't know, that is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You can you can uh, so, take so a em, so em, uh, so the Emperor's New Groove was supposed to be like a Lion King style epic. And Disney got cold feet and changed it into a, a kind of a silly comedy in, in, a, in a hurry. Had Sting, Sting was going to do the, yeah. the 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 music kind of like how uh, um, let's see, was it Phil Elton Collins John. did? Yeah. yeah, Elton John did, and Phil Collins did Tarzan. Like yeah, they, they were going to they were going to run that back again. They brought in Sting to be sort of the Elton John of this project, and Sting's wife. Uh, is a documentary filmmaker, and she documented the whole process, and they didn't realize that it was going to be documenting a huge production having the plug pulled on it by Disney leadership. Like a decade. At the, like at it the took time. a long yeah. time, yeah. And it's tough to find. I think M- Empire of the Sun is there, or Kingdom mm-hmm. of the Sun. It's, it's yeah. a, a documentary is, is, is out there, and it, it did. It led to a miracle of a little comedy in uh, the Emperor's New Groove, which is it's so much better than it has any right to be. Yeah, and and the whole reason they decided to pull the plug on it, according to Disney, is because the Hunchback of Notre Dame flopped so hard uh, that they were like, let's not make the serious moves. Let's get back to the jokes. All right, before we move on, I, w- I do want to talk Chaney Johnson uh, and, and just kind of the impact there. There's a couple of uh, – Jalen Williams uh, is has declared for the draft much like um, – Jani Broom did. Be very interested to see what Jalen Williams, what kind of feedback he does get from the league. This is a process. Everybody goes through it. If you had to put money on it, you'd probably say Jalen Williams is back at Auburn next year, back playing college basketball next year. But all it takes is the is the right team or the you know the right amount of teams to say the magic words. Already, the Oklahoma City Thunder have to be interested in Jalen Williams because they already have the other two. Um, so it would just be really funny to to see that 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 kind of be pulled off. Uh, but that's going on. So it does make with Cheney Johnson, Matthew Cleveland, Tyson, maybe some of the other guys, Auburn, it does make that a little bit more interesting moving forward because there is always, now that it's out there, there's always the potential that, you know, 
these guys the, these guys could hear the magic words and stay in the draft. It's it's tough to evaluate Cheney Johnson because when you're talking about someone who was playing Division One basketball, even if it was at a lower level, you know you you got glimpses of them against uh, whether it was major conference opponents in the out of conference or the best teams in their league. I think it's a lot easier from where we sit to project the impact that someone with a track record as a D one basketball player will have versus Cheney Johnson who feels like a total X factor right like this guy could come in and have a huge season and be a really meaningful contributor in a lot of ways or it could take uh, you know it, it could take some time before he gets into the swing of being an SEC player it's it's a little bit like bringing in a junior college player I think yes, in that it's, very it's, similar, it's I, think. I mean you, there there are the whole spectrum is on the table of, of how this guy could contribute. And it's tough to it's tough to talk in absolutes because I'll be honest, I haven't seen that much Cheney Johnson, especially in college. I know that he played at Thompson in high school. I've talked to some people who remember him well as a high school player, uh, but but his, his college career is, is largely unknown to me. No disrespect to the Warriors, right? Is it over at, uh, at, at UAH? I, w- I want to say they're the Chargers. Are they the Chargers? Okay, well, I shouldn't have guessed in that game. They're the Trash Pandas uh, there at, uh, at, at, at UAH. So, uh, no, but, but welcome, welcome Chaney Johnson, and I hope, it, I hope it works out because that's certainly a position where Auburn is looking to, to add uh, weapons to the arsenal. So, real quick, I, I am going to do a Chaney Johnson story, like a breakdown like I've done for um, – I did one with, with Denver Jones not too long ago. I'm going to try to do one on Chaney Johnson, knowing good and well that it's harder to find D2 film of guys than it is you know, D1 players or even some high-level high school guys. But I do want to do a, a, a Chaney Johnson uh, breakdown. That will be up on Tuesday uh, at The Observer, so you can check that out if you aren't subscribed to The Observer and you want access to that, auburnobserver.com, $60 a month or $60 a year. Not only do you get all of our podcast, which is you get two of this with this crew right here, um, and you get all the friends of the program and any other bonus ones we do here in the future. You get every newsletter as well, uh, covering Auburn football, men's basketball. You get the roster trackers in both sports as well. So that's a quick little plug. Tuesday I will have um, a, a Chaney Johnson breakdown. I'm fascinated by Chaney Johnson, and you talked about position. It's interesting because Auburn listed it, like in the announcement that, hey, Chaney Johnson signed, they have him as a guard. 6'7", 215-pound guard from Alabaster, Alabama. Plays last three seasons at UAH and will be a junior with two years of eligibility remaining. This is a guy who averaged 15.9 points and 6.6 boards per game as a sophomore. He was Gulf South Conference Player of the Year. He had 15-5 and five against Auburn uh, in that exhibition last year. I thought he did a pretty good job of holding his own. Uh, you know, I need to go back and kind of dig in a little bit to some more of my notes from that game, but um, – you know, had a, had a great year. UAH had a, had a strong uh, game. Th- career, 37.2% uh, three-point shooter. Did not have a great year shooting the three-ball last year. I think he was 30% around that, maybe a little under that. year before, he was above 40%. So, when he's on, he can really, really do it. Um, last season, also, uh, he had double digits in all but three games, and he scored 25. So, he had more 25-point games than he had single-digit scoring games last season. That ought to tell you something. Uh, about Shaney Johnson, but he's listed as a guard, and what that usually means don't want to don't want to assume too much because I think at six seven 
he can be versatile. But uh, Chaney Johnson uh, is uh, listed as a guard, much like Alan Flanagan was listed as a guard, much like Devin Cambridge was listed as a guard at Auburn. So that three, that small forward spot, Chaney Johnson could come in and contribute immediately for Auburn. What we also know is this. Auburn has been going after you know Matthew Cleveland, um, some other of these guys on the wings. Chris Moore played more mostly the four last season. And we do know that Auburn could use multiple wings if they get it, especially if you're in a situation where Allen Flanagan is not back next season. So if Chaney Johnson's more of a three, makes a ton of sense. That doesn't rule Auburn out of getting anybody else. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to have a chance to be an impact player. Bruce Pearl seems very high on him. I do think because he's making the jump from D2 to D1, it's hard to project him as, oh, this dude's going to be going to tear it up right away in the SEC. It's a jump, but so is jumping from high school to, you know, to, to, to the SEC level. Dan, I think, I don't know. I'm sure someone else has pointed it out, but I think that what you said earlier really clicked in the head. Like it is kind of like taking a Juco player because he's played post-high school basketball, it's just not the post-high school basketball we're used to watching. And um, and it's different because in Division One there are so many D1 teams that being D2, I mean, it is it is some, you know, it's, it's, it's some step, steps down the quote-unquote rung from where, he, or, you know, where Auburn usually pulls transfers from. And it's tempting to look at his three-point percentage and say, well, that'll translate because the line doesn't move from Division Two to Division One." But that's the only thing, right, that, that doesn't really change. The kind of defenses he'll face and the teammates around him will be different. But the fact that Auburn brings in someone, I'd be a lot more concerned if we were talking about Cheney Johnson having just shot 24% from three in this most recent season, and now he's coming to Auburn. I think it was right around 37 38% in his most recent season from three from, from Huntsville. And that's, I mean, Auburn being able to add some some shooting from the outside wherever it's coming from is going to be, I mean, that that's a significant development because offensively that seems to be the missing piece for this team of late, especially from the perimeter, from, you know, from the, from the undersized players on the perimeter. And it's interesting because 6.6 rebounds per game, if you can get around that kind of production, even if it's coming off the bench, you can go per 40 or whatever. If you can get that kind of rebounding rate from your three spot, especially if he's not a guy who's going to play 30, 35 minutes a game every single game, if you can get that kind of rebounding work out of him, that is going to be huge for Auburn because, as I wrote about last week, Auburn's rebounding left much to be desired last year, especially on the defensive glass. Auburn, because of the way they run and because of the way they like to get out and transition and some of the size they have at the guard spot, they usually aren't a dominant defensive rebounding team under Bruce Pearl. His teams usually just aren't in terms of rate. However, this was a step back this past season, and it really cost them. There were so many games that Auburn lost, especially down the stretch of the season, where they were winnable or could have been a lot more, a lot closer but they just got absolutely whipped on the boards, and, and it came back and haunted them. That's something they've got to absolutely turn around this year, and it changes, like I wrote recently. It changes if you don't have Alan Flanagan because when Alan Flanagan was on as a defensive rebounder, that dude could really pull it in. If Jalen Williams comes back, look, Jalen Williams has a ton of strengths. He, he brings a lot to your team. 
Jalen Williams, just in his college career, has not been a, a, a an elite rebounder for a power forward. He just hasn't. And so getting more of that from the three spot, especially if Flanagan's gone, is going gonna, is gonna to be very helpful. You know, I, I'd like to – this could be a segment where I bring an old wives' tale about Auburn football or Auburn basketball to Justin and you debunk it or not. I've had people suggest that Auburn defensively is so aggressive – in trying to block shots that it makes them less prepared to go after defensive rebounds and I wonder if that's almost the trade-off if you're if you're trying to block shots as aggressively as Auburn does at least from your bigs you might not get the defensive rebounding that some other teams do and that's almost you know you, you got to take the good with the bad you'll block more shots than most teams but if those shots go up it's you know they they might be they might be ready to handle you on the defensive glass. So here's what I would say to that: Yes, but I don't think it's necessarily a function of Auburn trying to block shots more. I think it's the way Auburn has defended the last couple of years, specifically and in the past. Meaning this: Auburn, their perimeter defense, guys would play a lot tighter, a lot more aggressively, opening them up to getting beat off the dribble, right? funneling them inside to Walker Kessler or, in this past season, Jani Broom. And when you have that situation where your rim protector, who is usually your best defensive rebounder, is contesting a lot at the rim and blocking, trying to block shots at the rim, what that means is your best player is usually not going to be in position. Like, say he contests the shot, right, or he goes for the block, and it doesn't go down. Well, unless it lands right back to him or it bounces straight back to him, Somebody else is going to have to come up with that defensive rebound more often than not. Whether it's a block, whether it's a contest that goes off the backboard, you need other people to rebound down, so to speak. And when you're smaller in the backcourt, which Auburn has been recently, and you've been so aggressive that that longer teams, a little bit more explosive teams, have been able to get the rack on you a little bit more, it makes it tougher because now you're at a point where not only are you are you're, you're having to rely on smaller guys to do a lot more of the bulk of your defensive rebounding, you're also taking away your best defensive rebounder in the process. So, yes, I think Auburn's aggressiveness in blocking shots plays a part into it. But it's not that it's that they're selling out for the block and not caring about the defensive rebound. I think it's just the function of the block has is making it tougher for them to do that because of what it represents in a, in a system, which, I mean, heck, it really, really worked especially with Walker Kessler two seasons ago, which is we can be aggressive and go for steals. We'll press you. We'll give you a lot of – we'll make sure you don't hit threes. Keep in mind, Auburn's three-point defense has been really good for these past couple of years. Um, last season was you know really good three-point rate because they were able to press up, you know, put a hand in the face, get in, get in somebody's jersey. But when you, you always sacrifice something on defense, you play back, you're letting them shoot. If you play up, you're going to give them more opportunity to go by you. When you go by them and you funnel them to the basket – what it does is, okay, hey, shot blocker, you better get it because if they go up and even if they don't hit it, they're going to have either the numbers advantage or the size advantage to get, get you on the glass. Whereas you need Alan Flanagan, you need Isaac Okoro was really good at this, others that Auburn has had over the years where you need those guards and those wings to rebound down and really, really fight. It's tougher, especially though in that backcourt when you have guys that you're playing 5'10", 5'11", 6'1", guys who are having to go up against bigger dudes. The, the shot blocking notion made more sense to me than just 
Auburn being undersized, and that's why it sure. hasn't worked yeah. defensively. Because we see undersized teams rebound the ball well across college basketball if that's the strategy. If the strategy is contest yeah. and rebound rather than – and, I mean, everyone's looking to block shots, but if – you know, it, it's it's philosophical – in a lot of ways, sure. and yeah, I wonder. I wonder what sort of improvements because, I mean, it does stand to reason that if you get bigger on the perimeter, that could also help your rebounding because you could have some guys that are more capable of getting rebounds come in and and, and get into the uh, into the scrum. Uh, but no, it made it made sense to me the notion that well, Auburn's Auburn's so aggressive defensively that sometimes that aggression can have them out of position when it's time to go get the rebound. Just looking at Ken Palm right here, this past season, Auburn 13th in block percentage, 323rd in defensive rebounding percentage. Year before, first in block percentage, 220th in offensive rebounding. Year before that, sixth in blocks, 307th in defensive rebounding. Year before that, 30th in blocks, 148th in offensive rebound or defensive rebound percentage. That was the season that got cut short due to COVID. It's probably been your best unit of that, and that was – that group was across the board pretty crazy on defense. Not only did you have Austin Wiley, uh, but Isaac Cora was a great shot blocker from the, from the wing position. Anthony McElmore gave you a lot, too. That was the year Devin Cambridge had a really good block percentage off the bench. Uh, Final Four season, fifth in the country in block percentage, 326 in defensive rebounding. So, yeah, it is that kind of when you funnel everything and you put it into that shot blocker, it does make it, it, does make it tough. Because, yeah, like like if you were saying, Dan, if you're a defense that sits back or gets home, you know, it stays at home a lot more often, um, you might not block as many shots, but you might be in a better position to get defense. There's always a trade-off. That's the one thing about defense. And it's true in football, too. There's always a trade-off you make of some sort when you're on defense because in any sport, but especially football and basketball because of what we're talking about on here, the offense knows what they're doing. They know where they're going most of the time, especially in football where you have plays, set plays to run. Basketball, you can be get more freelance. You can get more ISO and stuff like that and more creation. But, like, the offense knows what they're doing. The defense has to adjust, adapt, react to make sure they can defend that. Um, and so when you have that, there's always some sort of trade-off that you have. And the best defenses are the ones that minimize those trade-offs or at least – can read and react and 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 adapt quickly enough to minimize that because very rarely do you have a team that can just oh we're just awesome at everything we're good at blocking shots and we're good at defensive rebounding it's it's really hard to do both of those things on the defensive end of the floor because just because of the nature of, of how basketball is it's it's interesting to see if they feel like they need to make changes to that because like you said some of Auburn's most successful years have had unspectacular rates at the defensive rebound uh, end of the floor, but you could also, you know, they've been able to overcome that by doing some other things well. I, I want to see, uh, uh, yeah, if, if if next year's team uh, need, needs to, uh, to to make an impact on those on those numbers. I think we've had, have we, have we missed anything on the basketball front? I mean, do you want to mention Broom and Jalen putting their names we in the draft? We talked about Broom and Jalen, yeah. Jalen, you know, again, I think that's something that, you know, what we can – Keep an eye on more than anything. I don't think it's yeah. necessarily like, you know, neither of those guys are first rounders or people who've talked about a ton in mock drafts so far. But like I said earlier, it just takes the right right team, the right amount of teams to say the magic words. It'd be very interesting to see what the league, you know, thinks of them both. 
um, moving forward. And I think if both of them come back, those are guys that can be very, very key critical pieces to what you do. Auburn has right now, according to the uh, according to the roster tracker that you can keep an eye on at auburnobserver.com. Auburn currently has seven returning scholarship players and three new additions. Those new additions, Aiden Holloway, Denver Jones, and Chaney Johnson. Seven scholarship players. That does count. Jai Broom and Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan. We'll keep an eye with uh, on Alan Flanagan as well. But that means Auburn has three scholarship spots left remaining. Um, we've talked about it. wing makes a ton of sense. Cleveland is, is one. Keep an eye on Tyson. Also keep an eye on Blue Kane. Uh, we, we've talked about him a few times. The, the shooter from uh, – Originally uh, committed to Georgia Tech at IMG Academy. He would be one that Auburn is seems to be still in the mix for. I have not heard any confirmation, and I think maybe people like th- this one is so it's it's so specific to this one player. But does Alan Flanagan have to actually declare for the draft, or is he automatically in the draft? Even though because he's a senior, even though he has that extra COVID year of eligibility, because. Because the the draft deadline is, I thought it was I thought it was Sunday the twenty third was the day for underclassmen to declare for the NBA draft. But I don't know if that deadline would apply to Alan Flanagan because his extra year of eligibility is the COVID year, and technically he's already exhausted uh, his traditional college basketball eligibility. Yes. I, I was. I mean, I've, I've been waiting for a couple of weeks, thinking, all right, there's a there's a a statement that will clarify Alan Flanagan's status is coming soon, whether that's he's staying at Auburn or he's going pro or he's going somewhere else in college basketball. I don't know, uh, but I, I kind of thought maybe the NBA draft deadline would provide a little bit of clarity there, but I don't know if that draft deadline applies to him. Seniors are automatically eligible, and you don't have to declare. I think Jalen Williams did because he wanted to make sure he, you know, have the announcement, hey, I could be coming back. You don't have to do that, though. Um you know, I think, I think, uh, I think the same thing's going on with Drew Timmy at Gonzaga, that he hasn't made any sort of decision. But again, since he was a senior, he doesn't have to. I mean, I think the decision would be, hey, I'm coming back, and then you don't, you get to stay in the draft uh, up until I believe you can come, you can pull out and still the maintain. End of, your is it the end of end of May? Yeah. Is that the, yeah. Yeah, May 31st uh, seems to be it. That's for underclassmen, and then I think June 12th is another big one for prospects as well. So this could be, it, it could be a process that goes on for a while um, there. So keep an eye on, 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 on those guys. But, yeah, Flanagan, just the fact that we haven't heard anything definitively one way or another is interesting, but I also think with his dad leaving for the Ole Miss job, with you know what we talked about recently with with the roster not having him on it the first edition they put up online the updated one um that usually is a sign um not to say anything definitive and obviously people can change their minds but you know it does seem like auburn is kind of operating under the assumption that they're going to need another wing and they're going to need another starter quality wing um and you know they do have cheney johnson and cheney johnson could end up being one of the key guys for auburn next season however they're not out of the running for Matthew Cleveland. There are other guys that could go after as well that are you would consider instant impact potential you know, day one starter types. So be interesting. Um, the portal in basketball continues to spin as well because it's like, you know, there's always talk, especially of movement happening. 
uh, for guys um, potentially coming out, you know. And I think there will also be situations where you could see guys go into the draft process, come out of the draft process, and say, yeah, I'm coming back to college, but it ain't necessarily going to be the team I'm at. I, you know, I'm currently or, – or I'm coming from either. So this this could stretch for a while. I would think that we're going to get some clarity on the top players on the board within the next few weeks, though, because I don't know if these guys want their recruitment to go into May and June. I imagine they'd like to be situated somewhere in May with, with at least the top players that are still looking for a new home in college basketball. So we could see – I mean, I, I don't think the portal closing, uh, which is the middle of May, I don't think that impacts them as much because they're already in – the portal but I would imagine that they're going to want you know by the you know yeah middle of May or so I think they're going to want to be uh, to, to have to have made a choice and found a new home for this upcoming season all right before we go take care of a quick quick amount of business hey Homefield apparel they've got a new Auburn collection it's pretty dadgum good as I told all of you uh here on this podcast that it would be um Homefield apparel the number one place to get Premium collegiate vintage apparel. There's an if you go to Homefield Apparel's website right now, Auburn is on the front. Like Auburn is the lead dog right there. You can click on it for their new Auburn drop that they had here recently. That that navy Auburn hoodie with this with the baseball orange baseball script, clean, really good. Uh, they also got this ringer tee um, that is a uh, with the old War Eagle logo. Um, it's, it's a cool design. They got quarter zips. They got crew necks. They got a long sleeve 2010 national championship shirt out. They've got an oatmeal hoodie, which I'm telling you their oatmeal hoodies are the best feeling hoodies. They have some about that color and some of them about that style just really, really hits. Um, they've got joggers in this new, uh, drop. Um, they've got some other cool t-shirts, including the 1999 sec basketball, uh, championship, <clears throat> sorry, championship shirt. Excuse me. Um, that's got the tiger, the tiger print, uh, on, on, on the shirt, really good nod to, to one of Auburn's best teams ever. Homefieldapparel.com is the place to get it as well as your Auburn observer t-shirt, which you can get if you just type in Auburn observer, uh, in the little search bar at home field, you can get that very comfortable, uh, Heather Navy t-shirt. So you can get the official Auburn observer t-shirt or any of the new Auburn drop, uh, here at Homefield apparel. Homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your first order. If you've never ordered for Homefield before, if you use the promo code OBSERVER at checkout. You can also help us out uh, by uh, not only subscribing to the Observer for $6 a month or $6 a year, but what else can they do, Painter? Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, all you got to do is go to Apple Podcast, search the Auburn Observer, click ratings and reviews, click write a review, five stars, say something nice about Painter and Dan, we'll read it on the air. It helps us out a ton. So uh, help us out a ton by doing that. You can also get us five stars on Spotify. We will be back uh, later this week. I think our next premium pod will come out on Thursday, so a little earlier, a day earlier uh, than than what we have been doing, just kind of moving the schedule around a little bit. I'll be back on Mailbag Duties on Friday. We'll have plenty of stuff this week. Like I said earlier, Ambush Tours this week, so we should hear from Hugh Freeze and Bruce Pearl and others. Um, so there'll be a lot of good stuff coming up on the observer these next few days. You're going to want to sign up. That's going to do it for me, boys. What are your final thoughts? Dan, what movie should people watch this week? Ooh, I mean, I, I'll stop 
recommending Martin Scorsese movies at some point. I did. I finally saw Mean Streets, which uh, they showed on TCM uh, this uh, this past week, which is great. It's a movie he made from the early 70s with uh, Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro. And I'm telling you, if you haven't done Irishman, right, you got to power through. But it's I mean, when Al Pacino is on screen in The Irishman, it is just it's a magical I mean, and, and Pesci's great and De Niro's great, too. But I, I don't know. I, I would I would encourage folks power through the the smoothing out of the, the <laughs> de-aging. You got to get past that. But once you do, it's it's one of the best movies of, of the last few years. I don't know if we've talked about air on this podcast yet, uh, but go watch air. It's really good. If you want to watch something in the theaters, air. Highly recommend. Moneyball for basketball. We love it. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires Will come to you If you